Hello, everyone. Welcome to our online video series, Reading Hope in Trying Times. Our guest today is the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III. With civil rights advocacy in his DNA, Otis built his ministry on community advancement and social justice activism. As senior pastor of Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago, Illinois, Dr. Moss spent the last two decades practicing and preaching a black theology that unapologetically calls attention to the problems of mass incarceration, environmental justice, and economic inequality. A native of Cleveland, Ohio, Dr. Moss is an honors graduate of Morehouse College. He earned an MDiv from Yale Divinity School and a DMIN from Chicago Theological Seminary. He returned to Yale in 2014 to present the famed Lyman Beecher Lectures. Dr. Moss is on the boards of Auburn Seminary and Faith in Action, Faith in Place Action Fund and chaplain of the Children's Defense Fund's Samuel DeWitt Proctor Child Advocacy Conference. Additionally, Dr. Moss is a senior fellow at the Auburn Seniors Fellow Program. We're really honored to have Dr. Moss with us here today. So uh, welcome, Otis. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Uh, perhaps you could start by just sharing some of your thoughts on this pandemic that we're going through. Wow. Um... Well, one of the initial things that that has been flowing uh, through my spirit is, you know, how we we got here. Uh, one of the things I've been reading and 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 hearing about, but especially kind of reading uh, on the environmental level, is the human encroachment uh, into into the environment, uh, into into nature, and the response uh, by uh, by the earth that many of the uh, pandemics that we have experienced, uh, or any particular release of uh, of a virus, is many times connected uh, to human encroachment. Uh, whether it is in uh, you know the forest in in Brazil, or uh, if we look at even in Africa when you're talking about the Ebola outbreak, you're, if there's a connection to mining uh, in uh, with that outbreak. And the same thing also goes for, for COVID-19, you know, human encroachment and then the response. And so I've been thinking about how do we have a sacred perspective in reference to the environment, not as owners, but as stewards, is one of the principles that we can operate with that can protect future generations uh, from these wide-scale outbreaks. We'll never get rid of viruses. Uh, but there are certain things that we do as a result of how we view the world and we see ourselves as owners, 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 that we can do whatever we want with the environment, that there are certain consequences. Yes, absolutely. I think that that's a great train of thought and, um, you know, I think deserves a lot more uh, discussion than what we probably have time for today. But, uh, but thank you for that. Um, I know, you know, being in Chicago there, uh, you guys are afflicted by it, um, you know, pretty significantly as well as uh, my area in New Jersey. Can you tell us a little bit about how things have been there, how your church has reacted, et cetera? Uh, well, in Chicago, we have been uh, hit uh, extremely hard by COVID-19. Our church sits in um, really in the epicenter of one of the hardest hit areas in reference to, uh, in reference to the virus. Uh, there's been an incredible uh, health disparity in reference to African Americans who have contracted the virus and those who've died. Uh, African Americans only make up about 30% of the population of Chicago, uh, but they are 72% of the deaths 
in the city of Chicago. Wow. And this is directly connected to the long legacy of, of, of segregation, racism, and disinvestment uh, that we are witnessing in very specific areas in, in Chicago. Uh, those with transitory populations, uh, where uh, people who uh, do not have home ownership uh, and other uh, economic disinvestment uh, uh, challenges that we face. And as a church, what we have done is we've become a, a site for food distribution. Uh, while that doesn't sound like uh, anything major, what we are now witnessing in Chicago is a major food crisis. First, the virus. Now we're moving into a major food crisis uh, for people who are already food insecure, who either lived in uh, areas that were uh, food swamps or food deserts. Uh, now these individuals, especially seniors, are in a situation where uh, they are desperate to be able to find food. Uh, just so that people who are listening will understand, when the hoarding happened, it devastated many communities because there are people who can go to their grocery store once a week, two weeks, stock up on food. Uh, if you are someone uh, who finds yourself in the lower economic strata, you have to go to your corner store, the grocery store every other day. You know, Monday may be your milk and cereal day. Uh, you know, Wednesday may be your rice day. Well, if the food is wiped out on Sunday evening or Monday, um, and then you've got to wait a whole nother week uh, for food, you find yourself in a very desperate situation of, you know, how do I get the necessary nutrients for, for my family? And if you are living alone and you are a senior, it becomes even more problematic. And that's what we are, we are witnessing in Chicago. Uh, is a quiet food crisis that no one is talking about. And we've decided to be on the front line of ensuring that people in, in this community, the most vulnerable, uh, will have meals, fresh food, uh, good food, healthy food uh, for their families. Well, I'm really glad you guys are doing that. Uh, how were you able to get a hold of the food supplies to be able to make that happen? Well, the Greater Chicago Food Depository, which is the, the essentially feeds uh, not only Chicago but uh, Cook County, um, is an amazing organization that does great work. Um, along with um, our partner, uh, <clears throat> our partner Top Box, uh, which is a food distribution group. Uh, that has been taking food uh, from five-star and four-star restaurants and packaging that food. Uh, what they were able to do is, instead of getting the food uh, from some of the pantries uh, to help feed, what they do is that they've collectively with restaurants come together and say, hey, where do you all get the best grade food, uh, the best meats, uh, the best vegetables, whatever they may be. So they're able to package high-grade, high-quality food uh, for, for people in, in, in the lower economic strata in Chicago. And then the Food Depository, which is a huge organization uh, that is 
uh, uh, designed in such a way to provide uh, food in, in times such as this. But the challenge, because food distribution networks are primarily staffed by volunteers who are 70 plus. So the volunteer pool was devastated. Wow. Because COVID uh, attacks those who are, who are older, they are more susceptible. Uh, so many of them couldn't volunteer. Uh, so we organized with other churches, let's find that volunteer pool that is much younger, that's healthy, that does not have asthma, uh, diabetes, that, that, that does not have these other underlying challenges so that they can volunteer. And that became, this has become the real challenge in Chicago. Um, one volunteer pool has been wiped out and now creating a new volunteer pool of healthy, younger people to service uh, people in the community. Wow, that's the first I ever heard of that, you know, particular phenomenon. That, that's I'm completely understandable, but, you know, um, yet another dramatic shift, you know, change of plans, sure. right? You know, sure. that has to be <laughs> dealt with uh, on the fly. Um, Absolutely. I, so many, many years ago, I grew up south of Chicago, was a White oh. Sox fan, okay. you know, kind of in your neighborhood, drove past, you know, where your church is, mm -hmm. you know, many, many times when my dad would take me to the ballpark. And um, I had heard that um, Wrigley Field was doing food distribution. I don't know if mm -hmm. Comiskey Park is or, or not, but... Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I believe all, all of the, you know, athletic programs in Chicago from, you know, the Chicago Fire... Uh, the soccer team uh, to uh, the WNBA, the the Bulls, the um, uh, the Bears, and the Sox, and and also the Cubs are involved in some form of food distribution. So for our city, food PPE uh, becomes critical, and of course social distancing. So uh, those those are the critical pieces that the mayor has has laid out. Those are the pieces that we as a church have been focused on providing those um, uh, th those particular uh, aspects in our community. And, and and Chicago has been you know really pulling together. Uh, we we have good leadership. Uh, thankfully, we have uh, a leader who um, is deeply compassionate. Um, uh, it wants to see this disparity shrink, uh, along with our our governor. Uh, our leader knows something such as science um, and listens to uh, medical professionals and allows them to help the city lay out the plan of how do we mitigate this disease. And we're starting to see the curve flatten and, and people are pulling together neighborhoods, which is, which is very exciting. Well, I've always felt that, um, you know, Chicago is a city of high character and, um, you know, that was just kind of one of the things that always stuck in my mind about my experience with, with Chicago. And so I'm really glad to hear that, you know, that um, that, that coming together, that, that uh, you know, kind of widespread uh, cooperation is, uh, is going on. Oh, yeah. It's just awesome. Oh, yeah. So uh, one of the things we've been talking about during this interview series is just, you know, how God has helped us, supported us in challenging times in the past. And and how we can draw upon that now. So uh, what, what are your thoughts on that regard? Mm. Well, I think that moments such as this uh, call us to, to draw on our faith in a, in a different way, uh, not the 
Sunday school faith, but uh, I like to say grown folks faith, uh, where we develop a very different uh, perspective. Uh, last week, uh, I preached on, on Job. Uh, the, the topic was questions religion cannot answer, but your faith can solve, and how religion in itself uh, is not uh, the answer in moments like this, because religion does not answer questions of suffering very well. And the reason I say religion, I make the, uh, uh, the difference between religion and, and faith, one being uh, a system, uh, the other being your, your ultimate concern, what places your heart on fire and is deeply connected to love in terms of how you, you live out um, your, your expression. And Job raises questions that God does not answer, especially in the 19th chapter, but Job has this eschatology saying that I know my Redeemer liveth. And I used Fannie Lou Hamer and John of the Cross uh, to talk about those dark nights of the soul and the sliver of light that sometimes you have to sit uh, and not look for the easy answers, uh, but sit in those moments and know that the presence that God is with us, that God suffers with us, instead of these quick, easy answers that many televangelists are attempting to say, um, that the plague came on said date, and this means that the, the apocalypse is coming on, on this date, um, or to say that the plague was sent to punish uh, everybody in America. Um, we need to stay away from those kinds of questions um, because it, it places us in a, a, with a level of hubris and theological arrogance uh, that is ultimately destructive, that we need to sit, know that the presence of God is, is with us, and we are called in this moment to be compassionate. And that's what I'm witnessing, uh, the beauty that is being injected into a difficult moment uh, where people are involved in acts of compassion that are literally lifting the hearts and spirits of people, not only across this city, uh, but I believe across the globe. Well, as you know, um, one of the efforts that I lead is called Compassionate Christianity, mm -hmm. and it's trying to raise, you know, and amplify this kind of thing, you know, so uh, it's, it's so good to hear about it, and I want to, you know, try to find uh, more articles from you and from the other folks in Chicago about this to be able to, to spread this. Uh, so um, what other kinds of like resources, you know, um, books, whatever spiritual practices, you know, might you be drawing upon uh, at this point in time that you can recommend to other folks? Oh, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. So there's several things. Um, I have been recommending music and books, of course, but the musician that you see behind me, uh, is St. John Coltrane. Uh, so I, I have been recommending <laughs> John Coltrane uh, for those who are not familiar with this musical genius. Uh, grew up in High Point, North Carolina. His mother and his grandfather uh, were highly involved in the AME Zion Church, mother being a musician, grandfather was a preacher, learned how to play the saxophone in church alone. Uh, so he developed his musical tone 
uh, playing in an empty church, and it really comes through when you hear, hear him play. But he studied music across the globe, different cultures, and he believed that his calling was uh, to present music that could transform the soul. He believed that musical tone uh, had the ability to uh, do what we today we know as uh, musical therapy. And he has uh, one, of, one of the songs I love, it's entitled Alabama, where it is a tribute to the four little girls who were, were killed in, uh, in Alabama uh, as a result of the bombing. But what he does is he takes the dynamics of Martin Luther King Jr.'s voice and he is inspired by those dynamics and uses Dr. King's voice as a blueprint to sketch out the composition of the song. So the dynamics of how he plays literally is the, the nuances of Dr. King preaching the funeral of these four little girls. Then he has, uh, of course, Love Supreme, which is very well known, uh, that speaks about that God is the ultimate love supreme, and it is a retelling or a modern jazz retelling of an addition to the psalmist. And so it is a psalm, essentially solely with music, uh, that God is a love supreme. And then there's Giant Steps, um, where he plays one of the most difficult, <laughs> uh, some of the most difficult chords in, in all of jazz and music in general, uh, where he is using music from around the globe to play at a speed so that we can take giant steps as, uh, as a race, as human beings. And, and, and I, Coltrane just, I think in, in a moment like this, um, music speaks so very well to our condition. Uh, the other, are, you know, are quite a few books. Um, I love poetry, and I've been reading more poetry during this time period. John O'Donohue, uh, the great Celtic uh, poet uh, who writes a, matter of fact, I got it sitting over here. Um, where is it? Here it is. Um, to bless the space between us uh, is, is fantastic, which is a, a book of blessings for different occasions, everything from, from birth to suffering to loneliness for the person who is struggling with addiction. Oh, it's just wonderful. And then, of course, Howard Thurman. I'm a Thurmanite. Um, and love, absolutely love Howard Thurman. I, I think that Thurman is perfect for, for every uh, occasion. Uh, I've been reading a poet by the name of Parnesia Jones, who is uh, local uh, from here in Chicago, who is absolutely an extraordinary uh, uh, writer. Mary Oliver, who I absolutely love, um, who has an amazing uh, small poem on um, St. Francis of Assisi, uh, which, is, which is beautiful. Uh, Kevin Koval, uh, who created the Louder Than a Bomb series in Chicago, which is a slam poetry series that has been featuring young poets from around Chicago, especially from the South and West Sides, to, to speak about social justice and spirituality and about the city. And it's become a nationwide competition and his poetry, he, he has a book that goes through the history of Chicago from its birth all the way through today, which is, it's phenomenal. Uh, just, and Nate Marshall, 
uh, wrote the Wild 100s, and Eve Hewing, uh, who is a a friend also uh, of 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 our of our of our church, who is the just I consider the poet lord of Chicago right now. Um, she is also the writer uh, for several Marvel comic books uh, for anybody who is into comic books, but she's also an extraordinary poet and also a sociologist uh, writing about um, racial disparities in in school systems. Uh, and so you have this amazing collective, and there many of them are you know friends uh, that are just writing things that are powerful and Christian Wyman. Uh, used to be at Yale, he says, what does the poet and what does the poem uh, say when the world is burning down? And I think that we need the poetry of Isaiah and the psalmist and Amos and Jeremiah during this moment. We need to be reminded that there are words that can be uttered, uh, but they speak of things that we cannot utter at the same time. Wow, what a collection of recommendations. Thank you so much for that. That's really oh, sure. quite an arsenal of the things that you've uh, <laughs> put together there. Uh, you know, I'll uh, refer to those, you know, in, in the notes to this okay. so people know about them. Please, yeah, it's really great stuff, really great stuff out here. I think, you know, I've, I've been hearing a theme that a number of folks have talked about how music and poetry both, mm -hmm. you know, have been more meaningful um, to them than is typically the case through this. So, uh, you know, I think you're right in, in tune with that. And um, in our discussions with authors through uh, Publishing a Color and Writing for Your Life, many of those folks have reflected on, you know, now is the time to really write, to, mm -hmm. you know, reflect as best we can mm -hmm. on, on the meaning of this, the repercussions of this, the, what we can learn from this, how we can improve ourselves and society from this. So, um, you know, it sounds like you've tapped into some... Um, thought of people who are doing that. So that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely uh, adore uh, poetry. I believe that that's what the, the preacher is called to do uh, is either to describe, write, um, sit in it uh, because poetry is like music because the words that we utter cannot speak about what is divine. Uh, whatever we say is inadequate at best. Um, we might scratch the surface. The poet understands that. The po and that's why Isaiah speaks the way Isaiah speaks, because you cannot speak about uh, what is beyond the human vocabulary. That's why he says, they that wait upon the Lord uh, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Well, will it literally be like eagles? Uh, no, but I have to use language to at least give you your soul the rhythm to at least to understand the song uh, that God is attempting to sing to us, even though what I say is completely inadequate for our understanding. It's pretty tough to describe something that's indescribable. Yes, yes. Well, Otis, I really want to thank you for joining us. I appreciate uh, hearing from you. I appreciate hearing all about uh, what's going on in Chicago. And uh, thank you so much for your leadership, for your contribution to our, uh, our compassionate Christian world. Thank you. Now, before we go, if I could, I've been doing this since we've been going through this, this pandemic. If I could just offer this blessing from Don, uh, John O'Donohue for everybody listening. 
and I've been loving this one. Um, and this one is an, is a blessing for those who are you know struggling with um, suffering. I used it at closing a message the, um, the other week uh, on Job. And the first time that I used it publicly was after uh, the death of Laquan McDonald um, here in Chicago. And it simply goes this way. May you be blessed in the holy names of those who, without you knowing it, helped you carry and lighten your pain. May you know serenity when you are called to enter the house of suffering. May a window of light always surprise you. May you be granted the wisdom to avoid false resistance. When suffering knocks on the door of your life, may you glimpse its eventual gifts. May you be able to receive the fruits of suffering. May memory bless and protect you with the hard-earned light of past travail to remind you that you have survived before. And though the darkness now deep, you will soon see approaching light. May the grace of time heal your wounds. May you know that though the storm might rage, not a hair on your head will be harmed. Wow, how beautiful. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you for that. And, uh, and thank, thank you again. You. Oh, it's really great to see you. Great to speak with you. And uh, appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian.